This is the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast from Advanta IRA, where we show you how to explore investments beyond Wall Street and open your eyes to new options for your portfolio. It's time to take control and give yourself the freedom to choose where you invest your money. And welcome to another edition of the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast. My name is Alex Perney, and today we are very pleased to welcome on with us Dave Zook with The Real Asset Investor. Uh, we're going to be diving into uh, at least one interesting topic today. I know a lot of people have been seeing, at least where we live in Florida and across the nation, all these uh, car washes popping up. Now, that's you know one thing of people wanting to keep their car clean, but there also is money on the other side of this. So whenever you do see infrastructure and development, that means there has to be some type of corresponding investment and some type of money to be made. And that's what we want to dig into really with us here today. But before we get started into this, you know, interesting topic that I'm interested to explore more on, you know, kind of the economics and what this kind of uh, asset class looks like, uh, maybe give us a little bit of background about yourself, Dave, because one of the interesting things about anyone involved in real estate is that no one goes to college and gets their degree in developing, you know, self-storage units and car washes. Uh, you know, most people kind of have an interesting career trajectory before getting to this point in, uh, in what they're doing in real estate. And I always like to hear, you know, kind of how people came to be uh, with what they're doing. So Dave, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, first, Alex, thanks for having me on the show. Happy to be here. Um, in terms of background, I have a background. Our family business is modular buildings. So I grew up in the modular building space and am still involved with my dad and my brothers and in our family business. And so growing up in that business, in that space, I, I sort of, you know, covered almost every aspect of that business as I was growing up and eventually took a an ownership position there and also started in my 20s and 30s, founded a couple businesses. Some of them had to do with the modular building space, but really built up uh, several businesses and got to the position where I was I was really making a lot of money and and I had to pay a lot of tax. And, uh, you know, at the point I was paying a half million dollars a year in tax, I, I just got tired of it. And I said, man, there's got to be a better way. And I had sort of made up my mind early on in my career that I was not going to be a real estate investor. I watched my dad self-manage some private, uh, you know, single family homes. And I just quickly uh, recognized that that wasn't going to be me when I grew up. And so I went down the business route, got into a tax position, started digging and realized that many people were using real estate, multifamily apartments, bonus depreciation, cost segregation. So I started learning that language. And that's why I got into the real estate space was because I had a tax problem. Yeah, that's uh, one thing that real estate does offer is the ability to reduce taxable burdens quite a bit, especially if you, you know, and the cool thing is you don't have to get too far into the weeds to really get a lot of advantage from it. Um, you know, at a high level, you know, just writing off all of your expenses for an investment property is, you know, a very straightforward thing to do. It's like, okay, I bought a box of nails. It's for an investment. I can write that off. Granted, there's record keeping and some, you know, you can get definitely into the weeds when it comes to doing cost segs and accelerated depreciation and, you know, 1031s and stuff like that. But, you know, it's not something that you need a masterclass in offshore accounting to, uh, you know, accomplish a good deal of uh, tax mitigation using real estate. So that's kind of interesting that you kind of, uh, you know, got your door, you know, kind of opened into real estate by some of the awesome tax benefits that it does offer. So 
again, always interested to hear how people kind of, you know, fall into this space and glad to know that it could keep some more of the money in your pocket because it's not about how much you make, it's how much you take home when at the end of the day. Well, that's right. And, you know, real estate offers so much more than just the tax benefits, you know, building wealth, cash flow streams, equity, you know, all of that. But for me, I was desperate. I mean, I, I wanted to keep, like you said, I wanted to keep the money that I was earning. And many times, you know, if you get to play in this bonus depreciation, cost segregation game, many a times when you invest in one of those larger assets, um, that can be your first year, that can be your biggest return in your first year is when you save that 40% tax that you would otherwise uh, send into the government. So I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's kind of start digging into this. I know, and and at least, and I've had some, you know, some some a little bit of exposure to the investment side of what the, uh, you know, car wash industry is. But kind of let's let's start from the beginning of you know why have these started to become such a, uh, you know, and you know by the fact that they are multiplying and you're seeing more of them has to be some type of attraction to investors and some type of infrastructure on the back end. To these, so let's kind of get into the nuts and bolts of this. You know, why exactly are we seeing an increase in these things pop up? What do the economics of these things look like? And you know, from your perspective, let's just kind of uh, you know branch out from there. Well, I think people are starting to recognize, much like they've started to recognize that self storage can be a really good uh, asset class during a recession and just really provide some stabilization in your portfolio. The people have also started to recognize car washes for a number of different reasons. One, it has proven to be a pretty recession-resilient asset class. People are interested in that these days. Uh, the other thing is it's, um, it's a very ag- aggressive cash flow play. When you, when you talk about a stabilized, well-run tunnel car wash where you can really crank out the volume, um, that's a cash cow. That's a real cash flow machine. Um, the other thing too is it has some very unique tax benefit that that a lot of people aren't familiar with. Car washes and gas stations are one of the two, one of the two one of the only two commercial real estate asset classes that I know of where you can take the entire building and depreciate it just like it was a piece of equipment. So that gets really interesting. So you can take 100% bonus depreciation. You can take, of course, 80% of it now in the first year, and not only on the equipment inside the building, but you can take the the, the whole building and, and use that kind of depreciation. So, you know, people are starting to recognize, you know, number one, just the, the cash flow. These things are cash cows. And then, of course, some of the other aspects that I just mentioned. And, and you know, in terms of institutional demand, it's on their radar, and it's very early in the game. You know, they're coming to the game very early, I and mean, we were talking second inning. And one of the, one of the problems for an institution, and we can talk about this later if you want, but one of the problems for an institution to get a real foothold in this space is it's so fragmented. You know, almost the entire car wash industry, you know, a large majority of the par- car car wash industry is owned by mom and pops. There are no you know, there are very few car wash portfolios that are 20, 30, 40, 50 car washes in a portfolio where an institution can come and, and, and write a nine-figure check and, and take a sizable position. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, so 
definitely some stuff to unpack there, but like maybe let's start at the very beginning. So with regard to this, um, you know, we've kind of established why these things might be an attractive investment option for people. But when it comes to doing this, I'm assuming there's kind of, you know, one of two main avenues that, that, you know, arrive when you first do this. It's either, you know, kind of like, you know, just like with anything in real estate, do you acquire and reposition or do you build from the ground up? So are most of the plays that you're seeing or you're involved with, are they kind of a new construction ground up development or is it a buy reposition, you know, go from the C class to the B class or the B class to the A class, you know, quote property in this segment. So which one are you mainly focusing on or is it all market dependent? Let's kind of start at the very beginning of, you know, you know, okay, saying, hey, we're buying a car wash or are we building a car wash? So <clears throat> the answer to the question is yes. <laughs> Um, we, we have purchased eight operating car washes and we're on pace to, to build, uh, between 80 and a hundred more. Um, so we've got, we've got 70, some 70 or 80 lots in the pipeline and, you know, in some form of contract or LOI or, you know, we're going through the entitlement process. We, we actually got 10 in full construction, full-blown construction mode right now. You know, pools coming out of the ground and roofs going on. And and so uh, we're only Tommy's Express. We're not going out and buying, you know, mom-and-pop operators and a bunch of different brands and trying to consolidate. We're Tommy's, Tommy's Express car wash. And we're, you know, that's a, kind of the leading um, brand right now in terms of technology and efficiency. And, and you know, they hold a lot of their own patents and you know when you go to any major car wash show in the industry tommy's will be sort of the the gold standard and and so we're we, we've got a lot of building going on right now so we're primarily focused on building car washes bringing them out of the ground but we are are also in the market for you know a seller a small mom and pop operation that has two or three car washes that wants to unload and go do something else go retire or whatever yeah, absolutely. And with those, so do you do you see it being more of a you know the on the the build up from the ground side? You know, it's that that makes sense. You know, you have a brand. You know, is that now is that a franchise model or a licensing model or is that like the IP that you own for the Tommies? Is that just one that you're building and developing yourselves, or is that kind of a franchise license agreement? It's a franchise model, and we okay. are and we are um, we should be by the end of the year uh, one of the top two franchisees in the country and we expect to by the end of next year be the top franchisee in the entire organization so you're so and 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 the funny thing is i just did a interview with a guy about doing franchise agreements so are y'all issuing the franchise agreements or you are trying to become the largest like operator of this particular franchise we are the franchisee so we're we're the operator of you know we're we're actually there, there's uh, we're teaming up with Tommy's Express, okay, who gotcha. is the franchisor. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a new industry to me, and and the funny thing is, I've had two different people on the podcast about doing franchise investments. So I've learned a lot in a, in a short amount of time, but the terminology is still a little bit new to me for the licensing and franchising, franchisee versus franchisor kind of thing. Um, so again, let's go back a little bit. So we have that particular play now. When it comes to the acquisition of the individual 
uh, businesses. Is that something that is just done kind of on a point-to-point basis, or is that a reposition to become a uh, under that franchise flag? Are you just trying to get more of a footprint, or is, are those have their own kind of carve-out niche where maybe it's better to keep them as a standalone? How do those kind of play into the portfolio that you're trying to build with this? So the answer, again, is yes. We bought uh, Tommy's, we bought stabilized Tommy's car washes that were branded Tommy's, and then we bought some non-branded Tommy's, which, you know, doesn't exist anymore. You know, they don't do that anymore, but years and years ago, they used to, you know, basically sell the building, the package, everything, you know, you could start up Alex's car wash if you wanted to, and it could be a, a, a an entire Tommy's, you know, all the equipment building and everything. They don't do that anymore, but there are some, still some of those out there, and we just bought one uh, within the last 12 months. We just bought one in Salt Lake City that was like that, and then we brought it back into the fold. Like, we, we, we put the Tommy's franchise brand on it again. So we feel yeah. like there's a lot of advantages to being inside the franchise model, and it's, you know, unlike most franchises that are, you know, getting a franchise fee in the double digits, um, here it cost us low single digits to be a franchisee, and we feel like the value far outstrips the cost to do so. Okay, great. So let's look at the one where you, you know, the model again, where you're saying you're focusing a lot of your capital and efforts, which is, uh, you know, real estate acquisition development into a new car wash. Now, obviously, there's a lot of, you know, kind of tax benefits to doing that and having some of that vertical integration of the acquisition to the building to the franchise tag to the operations of it. Uh, you know, let's kind of talk about that. What are some of the big advantages that you see of going that direction? Because obviously, that's, you know, kind of where you seem to be focusing a lot of things. Is it mainly is the, you know, the benefits hung on taxes? Is it hung on revenues? What do you see as the main benefit to kind of focusing on that trajectory for investing in two car washes? So I think it's primarily around value because we can go out in the market and we can buy a stabilized car wash for $10, $12 million. And that may be okay, uh, but at the same time, we can go and build that same car wash for $7.5 to $8 million, you know, including the real estate. So, you know, there could be a real advantage for going into a marketplace and buying an existing Tommy's Express that already has its own client base, has a couple thousand members, you know, monthly subscribers already signed up. Um, and, and that's primarily, the value there is primarily if you want to take down a geographic area. You know, you get some protected geographic areas. Like, and I'll give you an example. We bought one of those, uh, you know, a very well-performing Tommy's Express in San Antonio, but the reason we bought it, and you know, of course, it was stabilized. It was very well run. It was one of the, you know, one of the top ten in the in the Tommy's organization. We bought it, but we bought it strategically, knowing that we wanted to control the San Antonio market. And so, you know, while we are open to the idea, and this is very strategic, but we're open to the idea of buying a stabilized port, you know, a stabilized Tommy's Express, or maybe even a small portfolio. We feel like we can deliver, uh, you know, in general terms, we feel like we can deliver greater value when we build because we can build that same product for seven and a half to eight million instead of buying it for 10, 12, 14. And I would assume that you would probably get some better tax benefits when you're outlaying all of the capital and you can, you know, write off those things and, you know, set your depreciation schedules as opposed to kind of coming in and, you know, 
you get what you get. You know, if a if a cost seg on a building and an and an operation comes back, okay, great. You know, you can only ex, you know you can depreciate X versus Y when you have when you're building something. You can kind of control those costs and factors. And again, one, do it for cheaper, and two, they maybe get some additional tax benefits, or they kind of a wash when you look at it from different perspectives. Is you know basically the capital outlay is really the you know the price tag is the main difference. The tax benefits are roughly the same and scale accordingly. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, either way, the you know, you're you're going to have an asset that you're going to be, you know, paying, you know, a premium for. And then of course, if you buy a stabilized asset, there's always a portion of that, you know, cost that could go to goodwill. Um, you know, which is not depreciatable, but uh, you know, of course, most of that asset, most of that cost is going to go into the buildings, equipment, all that. So either way, you're going to get an aggressive tax impact. Um, but you know, we've done it both ways and both ways can work very well. Now, when it comes to the development of these things, one thing that I just kind of had earmarked here, especially here in Florida is, do you have a lot of regulatory issues when it comes to developing these? I know anytime you're dealing with, um, you know, things that produce a lot of, uh, you know, runoff, whether they're utilizing chemicals, things like that. Uh, do you run into a lot of issues? Is it state by state? Is it locality by locality of, you know, things like water usage, sewer, chemicals, things like that? Do you run into a lot of issues or is it not as bad as some people might think? Because I know here, you know, you hear about things like laundromats, things like that, you know, that they've been around for like 30 years and all of a sudden you got, you know, groundwater pollution uh, somewhere. So do you run into a lot of stuff like that or have there been kind of, you know, workflows that have been built into where, you know, there's the equipment now to where it kind of drops in and kind of mitigates any of those issues? So there's definitely regulatory issues, regulatory stuff that we got to look at. But our system is set up to where you know the 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 water uh, filtration system and the reclaiming the water that we're using and and all that really helps us in many of those cases. You know, just recently we're we're getting ready to build a Tommy's Express car wash where it's you know the township where we're building it in um, hasn't allowed a car wash in that township for the last 20 years, and they say they won't again after us they won't allow another one in there you know after behind us which you know is great because it provides you a real moat in that market <laughs> yeah. um but one of the reasons that we we're you know that that they allowed us to come into their into their township was because of our equipment and how we reclaimed the water and how we left a you know very minimal footprint and so regulatory yeah, I mean, there, you know, that stuff we got to work through, but we got the kind of equipment, systems, and processes, and you know, in place that work for us in those kind of situations and make it a lot easier for us. That's great. Yeah, I, I kind of assumed as much. It's just you know, living here in Florida, you know, where we have the most coastline of any state in the nation, which is fun Jeopardy fact. But um, you know, it's just something that you hear about all the time, and uh, especially with so many car washes popping up, I would have. You know, again, I kind of assumed as much that, you know, y'all have gotten this down to as much of a science as possible. So that way it's not left up to guesswork. You can kind of come to a, you know, when you go for all the permitting and everything, say, hey, look, this is what we're doing. Here's how it works. Instead of being like, well, we're something new and exciting. But um, that's, again, kind of what I figured. Now, when it comes to the actual operations of these things, it's kind of interesting. You know, I, you know, people think back to car washes and, you know, the, the movies where it's, you know, a bunch of people out front washing these cars off, drying them. These types of car washes that we're talking about are much more kind of stripped down operations, much more self-service model where you don't have as much 
you know, overhead as far as, uh, you know, employees and things like that. It's kind of tell us about a little bit of the operations of these things. And again, why investing in something like this can be, you know, more beneficial than just buying a business like a, like a, a like a corner store or a gas station or something. It has very low employment overhead, correct? Well, and that was never more important than the last three years. I mean, look, when you think about a business and where most of the problems come from, where is it? It's in, you know, people. People, yep. you know, problem, most most problems have hair on top, you know. I mean, it, you know, it's the people. And so, you know, look, we I've got a great team here. I love our people, um, you know, and there's, you know, they're all stars. And I wouldn't want to do without any one of them. Um, but I will tell you, when you're dealing with, uh, you know, lots of employees, you know, uh, wage-based employees, you know, lower-income employees, a lot of time, you know, it, it, those are where most of your problems come from. We can, on a busy Saturday, we can, we can, our volume, we can crank our volume up to two to three hundred cars per hour, with two to three, with two to three employees on site. So we can do massive volume with just a few people inside, and and that that too, you know, as as those issues, those, you know, employees, you know, any business owner over the last three years will tell you what's the number, what's what's one of the top challenges that they've had over the last three years period, and that is getting quality employees, getting well, getting getting employees, period, you know, mm-hmm. and and so. And so when you can run volume like that with a minimal amount of employees on site, staff on site, that's a big deal. And, and, and that's the other thing that investors are starting to realize and institutions are starting to realize. The kind of volume that you can crank out of one of these locations with a minimal amount of, with a minimal amount of, of employees on site. Yeah, and I think that's, again, one of the nice things about investing in things that have low employment overhead. That's why, you know, commercial real estate is attractive. You can have so many different, uh, you know, income producing, you know, different little cells and you need what, three or four people in a management company to manage, you know, a hundred doors. You know, it's, it's that low employment overhead that makes things attractive when it comes to cash flowing assets. And it's pretty interesting to see that model kind of be transcribed into things that, you know, can be, can be uh, automated pretty well, such as a car wash, which is, Again, one of the reasons why I think it's interesting to talk about this is that it's, you know, it's investing in a business, but it's a very automated business. It has low overhead, but it has high volume. So, you know, again, it's it's pretty interesting. Now, one of the, one, there's like three things I mainly want to cover before we, uh, you know, wrap this up. We're kind of at the halfway mark. Uh, one being the interesting thing you said about being able to depreciate everything as like equipment as well as the building uh, two, you know, kind of the outside struggles you have with institutions coming in and three being kind of the nature of how these things are structured. Um, so I'll kind of let you take a pick from one of those three of uh, which avenue we want to go down first um, for the second half of this interview. Yeah, so we'll talk about uh, institution. I'm happy to talk about any of the three, but we'll talk about institutional demand. I mean, we've seen institutions come in and the few portfolios of well-run tunnel washes that are available i mean we're talking like two to three have traded in the last couple years maybe four have traded in the last couple years and we're seeing multiples you know 20 plus 20 times ebitda 
Yeah, I mean the 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 margins that they're paying for a well-run large portfolio, special emphasis on large. You know, they don't want to buy one car wash. They don't want to buy one, two, three, four car. They they want to stroke nine-figure checks. It's not worth their time. And so, you know, when we've seen these large portfolios come up and are available, uh, we've seen institutions come in and snatch them up at, you know, more than 20 times EBITDA, and that's been very interesting to watch. So, so we're really building this this car wash business um, with an exit in mind. Although we want to build the business to where you know it's one of those businesses where you'd hate to sell it, but you'd be crazy not to. So that's sort yeah. of where we're headed. Yeah, that's absolutely wild that someone would come in, especially the institutional side, and ever pay twenty x EBITDA for something. I'd, I mean, I just, I mean, I, I, I guess that's that's good, but it's also extremely bullish. I mean, I don't think I've heard anyone be as bullish on anything else, um, you know, on a, on especially on something where it's not necessarily like a standalone business. I mean, you could say, hey, you know, this, you know. John's Tavern has this special sauce and it's, you know, that their their specific business, this one standalone business is worth 20x of that. But when you're talking about an industry in general, now when you're talking about these institutional investors coming in, now again, you said they're not necessarily looking for the one, two, three locations or maybe going into the emerging de- they're, they're not necessarily in the development play. They're in the acquisition of kind of like a small tranche of these. Like, you know, you mentioned nine-figure checks. So is that when like a block of six of them come up, seven, ten. Like, what's kind of the the amount of like a portfolio that would come up for the institutions to really be interested? And are they interested at all in the development side of things, like you're doing? Well, the, so there's a couple things there that I'll address, and and you know, one of our advantages uh, from an institutional perspective, one of our advantages, and it's kind of the big moat around what we're doing is normally when you go into a market and you get a piece of real estate and you go through the due diligence process and you go through the entitlement process and you go through the build process, you know, I mean, you're, you're talking two year, a two year window, private equity, institutional capital, isn't that patient. You know, they, they don't want to wait two years. They want to buy a stabilized portfolio or a stabilized asset of some kind. And then mm-hmm. to your second point, um, you know, about the margins. So, you know, we've seen these smaller portfolios sell for, you know, let's say two, three, four car washes sell for, you know, maybe eight to 10 times EBITDA. And then maybe, you know, six to so maybe eight to 15 trade for, you know, 10 to 12, maybe 13, 14 times, and then maybe 10 to 12 times EBITDA. We've seen the larger portfolios that really catch it, you know, really catches the attention of these bigger institutions. Those are the ones that we've seen trade for 20x. Okay, yeah, it's uh, but again, so they're the, the the that's that's kind of I mean good in a sense that you know most of the time when we think of institutions getting involved, especially what we've seen in like the commercial, the multifamily space, the uh, industrial development space, um, you know, they are. You know, really kind of taking you know taking it down full stack. You know, they got they've gotten into some of the development, they've gotten into some of the more stabilized uh, markets. But you know, with this, you're basically saying that they're only looking at um, you know the stabilized portfolios, if you will. You know, if you have you know like you know the the nine maybe let's call it like ten plus you know locations or you know storefronts, that's what they're kind of looking at. Everything else, as far as kind of like the development side, is kind of rife for the individual and the smaller, you know, mom and pop investor. 
or the acquisition and the reposition of you know the individual mom and pops does that kind of ring true with the market in general right now yeah and, that, and, that, and that's sort of where the opportunity comes in for investors like us you know i talked about that moat that kind of protects us you know it gives us that kind of protection because private equity and institutional um, money doesn't have the patience to sit there for two years and wait till you get to some positive income. So that, that yeah, that creates a, a great opportunity for, in, uh, for investors like us to go out and sort of burn off that two-year window and really get the, you know, the car washes out of the ground and get them in operation and get them stabilized because, you know, they're, they're not so much, you know, we've seen this in the self-storage space as well. They're not, they're not into the value add strategy. They're not into buying from a mom and pop operator, bringing up the efficiencies, adding, um, you know, expansion project, whatever. They want to buy a stabilized portfolio of something and, and, and just take over from there. Yeah. And that's, that's really great. The, the, you know, the fact that, that opportunity still exists. And I would imagine, you know, it seems like it would probably stick around because especially with assets that are kind of as you know, it, this is kind of an interesting one because it has, you know, the 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 commercial real estate aspect, but it also has the, you know, just the straight business play aspect of something. So, you know, it kind of is, you know, not as maybe as much of a marriage kind of like self-storage is between like apartment buildings and business operations is definitely more business forward, I would say, on on this. But it definitely is one of those things where it you know, has a barrier to entry that keeps the institutional people, you know, at bay to allow enough of a market for, you know, everyone else to play in the sand, if you will. Now, when it comes to, you know, the actual structure of how, you know, again, institutional investments be what they are, but, you know, let's say you have an investor coming in that wants to get involved in this. Um, you know, are these things mainly structured, uh, you know, as, you know, like syndications? Are these things like LLCs where people buy into chunks? You know, what is the kind of the investment structure of these things look like from the outside investor? And, you know, what kind of, again, and the, we can kind of fold that into what particular tax benefits might be offered and if there's different structures out there for these things sure. as well. Yeah, no, we, we have a fund open and typically when we open a fund, we'll, we'll keep it open and have six or eight, you know, six to eight, six to nine car washes per fund. And accredited investors can come in and, and invest in that fund and take ownership in those six to nine car washes that are in that fund, which gives them some diversification across, could be a, a couple different markets. Um, and then, you know, every dollar that gets invested from our limited partners, our investors, that depreciation flows back to that basis. So investors coming into the fund, invest in the fund, they get the full impact of that depreciation. So it turns into, you know, not only a cash flow play for, for an investor, but it turns into also a tax efficiency play for an investor. Absolutely. Now, do you run these as kind of evergreen funds or do you have like a set criteria when you set up the new pooled investment fund for saying, hey, we're going out in a particular like how, how well defined do you do these things or do you kind of keep them open ended? Because I've seen people, you know, I've seen the pooled investment fund model start to get a lot of traction, especially with the velocity of, you know, different assets in the commercial space. Um, so tell us a little bit about kind of, you know, your strategy, at least when setting up these funds, what are you? What are y'all doing, or is it kind of you know a general consensus among the uh, industry? Yeah, so it's not evergreen. Uh, so we close down when we get to our we got a hundred investor limit to any specific fund. 
Uh, so when we get to that 100 investor limit, that's always, that's why there's a range of between six and nine car washes because, you know, when yep. we get to that investor limit, then we close down the fund, we'll open up another one, assuming there's, um, you know, supply. Uh, there's always that supply demand balance, you know, where you got, you know, more car washes than money or you got more car or you got more money than car washes. So we, you know, we play that balance. Uh, but look, we're, we're aggressively, you know, on the path to build, you know, 80 to hundred car washes. And so there's going to be plenty of opportunity for investors to come in and team up with us, uh, have the potential to make a really nice return. I mean, we're looking, you know, we show on our investment summary, and I'm happy to share this with you uh, if you'd like to see it, but we share on our investment summary, we share uh, three different scenarios of what a potential return could look like to an investor. And, you know, of course, a more aggressive one is, you know, a, a, you know, more than a three times, a 3x multiple on their investor capital. Uh, and one of the uh, interesting things to remember on this is, that even our most aggressive uh, kind of performa is less aggressive than what we've seen happen over the last couple of months in the market today. Even with all the challenges that we've seen in the market, you know, higher interest rates and, you know, kind of uh, investors kind of pulling back lenders, debt's harder to get, whatever. Uh, we've seen those kind of margins in today's market. And so, you know, we're seeing that, and, and our performa is less aggressive. Our most aggressive performa is less aggressive than what we're seeing in the market today. Yeah, it's, that's awesome. And that, you know, again, coupled with a good tax strategy is always, um, you know, key in that. And the last thing that I kind of wanted to get into is that, you know, I'm a little bit of a tax nerd and it comes out in this in this podcast, but you mentioned kind of an interesting aspect of these car washes being able to, you being able to basically depreciate them as equipment uh, and not just a you know a dwelling or you know a you know a piece of real estate. Get into some of the kind of the interesting things that offer you know you know and I say special very very you know air quotey with that. But you know again when when someone says something like that to me, it really kind of piques my interest of saying okay that's really cool. You know this kind of makes sense. Get into some of like the uh, you know special you know use case stuff, especially you know again like being able to depreciate something in a different manner than people are kind of used to when it comes to commercial real estate. Yeah, so a couple things. One, let, let's just, uh, okay, so let's use the analogy of a multifamily apartment building as a comparison mm -hmm. to a car sure. wash. Okay, so multifamily apartment buildings, you, you get to uh, depreciate that building in 27 and a half years. Okay, but if you do, if you pay for and, and have a licensed professional uh, cost sake study, company run out and do a cost seg study for you, they'll break out components of that building and give you a bunch of different lifespans for different things in that building. So mm -hmm. let's say a water heater, you might be able to take that in year one, take the appreciation in that in year one, write that whole thing off in year one, whereas, you know, flooring might be uh, five years, whereas paint and, you know, uh, sidewalks and whatever, could be 10, 15 years, whatever that is. And then they'll lump all that together and they'll allow you to pull a lot of your depreciation that would have gone on over that 27 and a half years and they'll allow you to pull a lot of that forward into the, you know, and use it in the first, you know, one to five years. Mm -hmm. um, in the car wash space, is very different in that equipment, you can write all of the equipment off in, in year one. So 100% bonus depreciation, 80% of it happens in year one. The difference is not only can you do that on the on the equipment, just like you could in your water heater. Remember the water heater in the in the uh, apartment building? 
Well, mm -hmm. you can do that in, on all of the equipment inside the building. Plus, you can throw the building in that whole package yet. So now you get 100% bonus appreciation, 80% year one on the building and the equipment. So I don't know what that's about. I don't know if the car wash industry just had really good lobbyists or, or what happened there. But for some reason, a car wash, you can take the building and throw it in with the, equi with the equipment and get that 100% bonus appreciation. And I mean, it would kind of, you know, I see where they're kind of coming from. I mean, the building is the equipment, if you will, especially for, you know, I think you said you called it a tunnel car wash, right? You know, yeah. you drive through the thing. Well, you're, um, you're right. And, you know, it's single purpose. And I like you can't you can't retrofit a car wash and turn it into you know retail or offices or something like that. So, I mean, I yeah. guess you're kind of right. It is kind of a piece of the equipment, really. Yeah, I mean, even like, you know, yeah, you can have an office in there, but it's going to be, you know, a, a filing cabinet, and it's probably going to share rooms with, you know, pumps for, you know, pressure washers and chemical yeah. chemical stuff. So, uh, you know, that's definitely really interesting. Does that offer any type of, you know, you get to, you know, while it is awesome that you get to take all of this, um, you know, kind of in year one, what type of carry forwards does this offer? I mean, is it basically the standard runoffs of like, you know, when you get to actually utilize these write-offs um, you know i would think especially for doing something that's you know development based maybe having all of that so front-loaded wouldn't be as ideal um you know or you know kind of what's again you know being able to take that as an equipment depreciation is awesome instead of having the 27 year and then you know having cost seg break out stuff individually being able to do you know you know first year 80 percent is awesome but are there any kind of you know you know, too much of a good thing type scenario that happens with all of that depreciation that gets to be passed forward in this specific use case? So I don't think there is a bad way to use depreciation. There's a more aggressive and a more conservative way to use it. And I, you know, to me, more aggressive appreciation front loaded on the front end that I can use today is better than if it stretched over 5, 10, 15 years uh, because I can use it as long as you're in growth mode. You know, I mean, you, you want that depreciation, and, and me personally, I want that depreciation as early as I can get it. I can use it this year. And so, but if that's, you know, if an investor is coming to us saying, well, hey, I'm, I work in a dental office, I'm a W-2 guy, uh, I have no other passive income, um, that's a total different story for that investor. He still gets to use, he or she still gets to use that depreciation, but you may have to, you know, save that for future years. He may not be able to use it all in year one, and yeah. it, which is which isn't bad. It just sets there in your depreciation bucket until you can use it in year two, year three, year four, and and it does have the typical runoff that you would see. You get eighty percent in year one, and then you get the rest of it, you know, over the next four years after that. Yeah, and also what you can only write off, uh, you know, investment depreciation and losses can only offset what, like $6,000 of ordinary income per year for your W-2 stuff. So basically it's it's kind of nil um, for what you get to capture on that side. I want to say it's roughly something like that. Do you, do you know the number on that? Well, it, it's primarily going to be, it's primarily going primarily to knock out the tax liability on your passive income because this, this is a passive asset. You know, we manage yeah. the asset, we work the asset, an investor coming in and investing with us, this is going to be passive for them. So if they got lots of other passive income or they got, you know, a capital gains, liquidity event, or appreciation recapture, or something like that, they'll be able to use a large chunk of this in year one. But if mm -hmm. that's not their case, and I use the example of a W-2 employee, 
could be making you know two, three hundred, five hundred thousand dollars a year. This depreciation, he won't be able to use that to offset the W-2, his the tax liability on his W-2 wages. But then he'll just sit there in his bucket and wipe out the tax liability that's coming from the cash flow from his car wash investment or some other yeah, passive uh, income. Yeah, no, I think I think we're talking the same thing. Um, yeah, no, great. This is this has been you know really kind of an interesting dive into this. Now, has there been anything that we haven't really touched on that you think is a benefit for people to to know? And, I, and again, I'm assuming that. You know, we talked about how you structure your investments as pooled investment funds with, you know, kind of a cap and a scope, um, not necessarily an evergreen. I'm sure there's people that do evergreen sides of these. I'm sure there's people that do like individual syndications for, you know, individual locations or blocks of these uh, to take down kind of a, you know, a, a portfolio of them. Uh, so, again, I'm assuming I'm correct in talking. There's kind of a, a typical range of the normal commercial real estate, again, very loosely, uh, investment structures for investing in these kind of things, correct? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's set up like a typical fund. We have we have a fund for ATMs. We have a fund for self-storage and we have a fund for car washes. So it's set up like a, a typical fund. And it, you know, we, we you know, of course, there's a process. An investor comes in. We got to, you know, we got to uh, get third-party verification that they're that they're accredited. After that, they look at a set of docs, you know, that's prepared by our legal team, um, and they'll come in. We we there's a process, but we we make it pretty simple for an investor. Yeah, no, it's I'm I'm assuming it's so. I was just more getting at the um, you know just in a broader sense of people kind of looking at this. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of different ways to flesh this out, and most of them are kind of based in the traditional, what they're used to when it comes to investing in commercial real estate. You know, you can buy an individual one, you can invest into a syndication, a pooled investment fund. The options of like kind of what is out there to do this are kind of what they're used to, even if, even although it may be a different asset class in a sense, because it's kind of that hybrid, you know, business equipment. Like it's kind of like the mix of like having a apartment complex versus, you know, an ATM, you know, it's like, functional equipment that provides a service and also a piece of real estate that is, you know, running a business. So that's why I kind of think, find these things interesting. And also anytime I see a lot of new development in any industry, that means that there's money behind it. That means that there's money to be made in it. So again, while people might say, oh, we don't need any more car washes. It's like, well, look at, look at, look behind this, you know, why is this happening? You know, that's, you know, maybe you don't want to see them, but I guarantee you, you know, seeing, you know, multiples in your bank account might, you know, change your tune if you're on the investment side of this thing, you know, seeing these things pop up everywhere. Well, and you're right. And they are popping up all over the place, but you're going to see, you know, I mean, the wave of the future in the car wash space are in these sort of semi-automated tunnel car washes with the technology and all that in them. You know, the, of course, you know, today you've got the little single or triple bay car wash attached to a gas station or, you know, semi-automated, you know, just old, outdated, for the most part, outdated uh, car washes. Those are, you know, with these these new, well-run tunnel car washes with the automation, they're, they're going to eat their lunch. You know, so the wave of the future is these new car washes. So even though a town may have whatever, three car washes in it, you're going to have one dominant player in that small town and whoever comes up with that with that best uh, best case version of that car wash that people like uh that's going to be the winner 
Fantastic. Well, Dave, I think that's kind of a great place to end it off. If people want to get in touch with you or learn more about kind of the offerings that you have or learn more about any of these, you know, great and interesting things about car watches, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so our website is therealassetinvestor.com and my team, you can reach my team at info at therealassetinvestor.com. Alrighty, Dave. Well, thanks again for being on with us today. My name is Alex Perny. This has been the Alternative Investing Advantage podcast, and thank you for joining us. Tune in next week for more investing tips and strategies. Want to hear more episodes of the Alternative Investing Advantage? Search podcast at advantaira.com and subscribe.